When I was a kid, I used to make uh, models, little um, models of. Uh, they're mostly uh, ships. I had a good one of HMS Victory. Hmm. I'm I'm mostly into princess castles myself lately with um, which with one? my daughters. Which one? The uh, Arendelle from Frozen, the one where uh, uh, Elsa yeah, lives. I think you could pop any you know any girl into one of those models, and out would pop a princess. I think that's what models do. It sounds a bit like an economic model. You I, put in some inputs and uh, some statistics, and it pops out something that tells you tells you something uh, simple. Something complex turns into something simple. Or or vice versa. I think something simple put into an economic model can always turn into something terribly complex, which is why I've always been terribly afraid of economic models whenever anybody mentions them. Don't fear. Don't fear because you have a dictionary of finance to make these things simple for you. Oh, so Or at gonna, least clear. So we're going to be talking about economic models. Yes, we are. Today on a Dictionary of Finance, Economic Models. So we're joined by Natasha Valla on this episode of uh, a Dictionary of Finance from the European Investment Bank. Natasha is the head of policy and strategy in the economics department here. Uh, she's also uh, a musician and, in fact, has something of a, a background that connects her uh, music, which was when she was a student, with um, economics. How did that come together? It was just recently, right? Well, a few days ago, I was speaking at an economics conference with high-level central bankers asking ourselves whether inflation would ever come back. And actually, it was on the stage of music which was the place I first gave my first concert with an orchestra some mm. 20 years ago. So it was a very emotional experience. And actually, the economics discussion ended up being very inspiring. Really? Like the music? Emotional and economics. We also have Georg Weyers, who is a senior economist in the policy and strategy uh, division here in economics. Um, do you find... Uh, Economics, uh, an emotional thing? Is that sure. why you got into it? No. How did you get into economics? I was studying something else. I was studying aviation and space technology together with philosophy. One is very concrete and very applied, and the other one was very fluffy. Economics was somewhere in between and promised to answer different questions. Ah, so we're going to find out today where in between uh, it, it lands, you know, between the fluffy and the concrete. Um, but, you know, it's good. I'm sure our, our listeners will be inspired, talking of inspiration, uh, to know that, that economics is more inspiring to you than space. Indeed. Right? We're not broadcasting this to seven-year-old boys because I think they might, uh, they might disagree with you. But nonetheless, let's start, Georg, with you. Um, we're talking today about economic modeling. So what really is that? Is it something that's theoretical? Is it something that's... Uh, empirical is it concrete or fluffy yeah probably somewhere in between you try to replicate something concrete by something very abstract you try to understand what is how things work by building a by building a model that uh, reflects of how things work that you cannot observe directly and this is why we did the economic modeling mm -hmm. also. but when you do that so if you build a model 
uh, we're talking. I guess this is a, a model in um, in a computer, uh, right? And you build it, and then you see if the real life follows that model, right? So do you then, if the real life turns out different, do you do you then do small corrections into your model to make the model more lifelike? Uh, to some extent, of course, you adjust it. If it doesn't deliver what actually happens, then you have to adjust it. Unless, of course, a model is just sort of a subset of what you're looking at. If other things are influencing it and your model is still sound in a gen- on a general principle, you leave it as is and try to complement it by other things. But if it doesn't turn out true, maybe either you're missing something or you have to adjust the model. But how do you make one? How do you make this model? Because let's say if you're a seven-year-old boy and you're interested in space, you can make a model with Lego of, of a rocket. We know what it looks like. We know the shape. We know how to do it. But how do you make an economic model? Where is it? What is it? Well, fortunately, we're not the first trying this. So a lot of people have tried it. There are a lot of blueprints of things that have worked before. Other things people have discovered that that they work. So we use this as a baseline and try to adjust this as much as possible to fit the purpose that we want to use it for. But it's not made out of Lego. What, what is it? It's What's a little it bit like of? Lego. It has certain uh-huh. elements and components you put together, certain behavioral assumptions of how people behave, certain economic equations that you have to use or need to use to make it actually work. And then you put it together in a way. It's not that you're reinventing the wheel. The wheel is there and you try to build or adapt it as much as possible to the circumstances that you need it for. But it's on, it's on a computer. It's on a computer. But what's on the computer? What, a lot what of is equations. In so in this case, we have equations. One, uh-huh. 1.1 million equations, I think, to solve simultaneously. And um, yes. Mm. You okay, know, I'm glad you have the computer for that. Yes. Having said that, economists need to simplify the world. <laughs> and I think a model is a way to simplify things because we're not able to grasp everything. A phenomenon has many causes, uh, f- you know, political, economic, social, uh, natural, the environment. And as Georg was saying, there, there, there are different ways to models, and I would split that into two families, really. One is theoretical. You don't necessarily need a computer. If, for example, you say there's unemployment, right? There are people who don't, don't have a job. It may depend on many factors. It can, technology. Is technology a reason for being unemployed? Uh, labor costs is, you know, working, does it cost too much? So you have a little function. So we need mathematics. A model is a mathematical tool, but you can write it on a piece of paper and solve it on a piece of paper. That's the conceptual sort of theoretical approach. And then there's the more empirical approach, which so far at least, because things are changing and we have big data and we'll speak about that, I'm sure, uh, but which uses the empirical regularities of the past to infer what will happen in the future. And that's where we really need the, you know, computing power and data management tools to make sure that these data that we inherited from the past can be analyzed and give us some ideas about what will happen in the future. Can we give some examples of of, uh, things that we might know about in general that are calculated using an economic model? You mentioned unemployment. Is is the unemployment rate calculated using an economic model? Uh, n- not necessarily. An unemployment is rather something which is, quote-unquote, directly measured. Mm-hmm. So we have things that are measured, so we collect data 
for example, inflation, people go to, to supermarkets, they make a list of prices, they do the same thing with the same goods the following month, and they compute inflation. So this is rather muddled. There are things that you cannot measure, as, as Georg was saying, I'm sure you have m many examples, but the things you cannot observe, you cannot measure, you'll have to model them. For example, motivation of self at work. You cannot measure that. You cannot, you cannot, you know, like open someone and say, how, you know, motivated have you been that month and what was your productivity on that month? So you'll have to infer that from what we call observables. And those observables, you collect them from how long you stay in the office, you know, how many minutes you spent at the coffee machine, whatever you may mm -hmm. want to use as an indicator. And then you can uh, need a model to make a mapping between what you observe and what you cannot observe, so for example. Plus, of course, the, the observed ones, if you want to project them forward, you need a model to what you expect them to mm -hmm. be in the future. So the unemployment rate, if you measure it, you collect it, right? You count the number of people. But if you want to know what it is next year, you have to have some model in place to project it. So, mm -hmm. for example, just now in, in the United States, there's a, a debate about uh, tax cuts and figuring out when they say, You know, one side or the other in that debate says this will benefit the middle class by this much each year or someone says, no, it's just for the rich, it's this much each year. They've, they're making those projections based on an economic model. Yes. But, but a, lot of this, a lot of these models, I mean, most of these are over time, right? We're, we're trying to predict things in, in the future. Uh, and um, I mean, a lot of people say that what happened in the past is not is not a, a good way to, to have an idea about what's going to happen in, in, in the future. But, but all models are based on kind of extrapolating from, from the past and, and making that, that figure go, go onwards in, in one way or another, right? So we're trying to, we're, we're saying that basically what happened in the past will happen again kind of in the same way in the future, right? Yes, but then you do that every day, right? You expect the sun to come up the next morning. Economics is... It's more complicated, but certain things you want to identify which actually holds, which are patterns that actually sustain over time. That there are certain things that can come in, of course, that make the story come out wrong. But you try to identify the ones that are more stable and that actually give you a way to project forward. Who uses economic models you know, to project forward? Who wants to see the future with, in economic terms? Well, everybody would like to see the future, I think, um, but... Uh, There are also a lot of models, but in daily life, you use it. When you go to the bank and look at your interest rate, if you want to take a mortgage, there is a projection on what the rate will be. You make assumption on what inflation will be. You make an assumption of what the economic situation will be. A company does that. Everybody uses this, these numbers, trustworthy or not, but you have to rely on something to make an informed decision. What you decide today will have an impact on the future. So everybody's using an ac economic model, essentially, every day. The results day, of... Say an economic model. Yes. And even implicitly, households, yeah. when you, 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 you're 20 years old, you contemplate the, you know, the idea of making longer studies, you will arbitrage between you know, going to work right now, making money, or investing a few years, which hopefully will bring you to another you know, set of jobs, which will pay off more. So when you do that arbitrage, you do use implicitly an economic model returns on investment in education and you factor in a number of stuff so you don't do it formally using a mathematical formula the concept is very much the same and in a sense me coming with my mathematical formula as you were rightly saying 
the formula might have become, become obsolete because the world has changed. Mm-hmm. If you do it with something a bit more flexible, not, so not formalized in the same way, you might be able to adapt yourself to the changes in the environment. And that's where we, sh- we, we stand right now, I think, between generations of modelers who have you know, relied simply on, on, on history and using history to, to, to infer the future and things that are more adaptive, uh, that are more able to adapt to change the, in the environment. And the data, the richness of data that we have right now allows us to make that step. And a lot of the skills that we have learned as economists, as modelers, have become or are going to become probably worthless in a few years. <laughs> right, because things are changing very fast. You mentioned they're adaptive and you know, research and development technology, the technology that you can use to make these models work is changing very fast. Yes. So are there any models that we all kind of look at and, and view as important measures which might actually already be useless? Are there any things which people are starting to doubt? Maybe the way we calculate, I don't know, inflation. Maybe that doesn't really work so well anymore and we need to change it. There's one big issue is productivity, for example. How productive are people at work? And we see developments in productivity right now that are puzzling. We have a productivity slowdown, so we don't seem to be as productive as we were before. Or at least the rate of growth of our productivity is much slower than it was before. So we ask ourselves, and one question is, do we measure productivity in the right way? The second question is, do we model it in the right way? We almost know with certainty that we don't model it in the right way, and models of productivity are being improved as we speak. But there's also a matter of you know, measuring it. Inflation, same thing. So a lot of people complain. Does it make sense to go down out to supermarkets and collect prices? Is it really what life co- is costing? Isn't there a better way to measure inflation? With big data, don't we have a lot more you know, information about what people consume and how much it costs them and what's the cost of living? And I think those are very much open questions right now. We still don't have an answer. But some of these, some of these indicators that you mentioned, uh, productivity, inflation, these are things that are measured by dozens of institutions across the world in different countries. Like they, all, they all measure and model also, they, they try to project what's going to happen to these measures over the next uh, next quarters, no, next couple, next year. Do they do they model them in a in a standard way? So if you if you if you look at I don't know the central bank of of a country and they say that oh we predict our GDP over next year is going to grow uh, about uh, half a percent. Do you know which kind of a model they're probably using to come to that figure? Is there a consensus amongst you economists on how to do this? Or do some people have like a secret model that they're not revealing to anybody? So for, for, for some concepts that pertain to the public domain, uh, there's no secret, but people don't necessarily agree. There's a huge effort being made and lots of people being employed in the United Nations, but also in central banks, in statistical offices, to make sure speak, that people speak with the same concept, so to harmonize concepts. So harmonizing the concept of unemployment, harmonizing the concept of inflation, GDP, economic growth, all those things. So there's an effort. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are some constituencies that have managed to agree on a common concept, but other ha- others have not. And so that's that's sort of 
stake and it's something people sometimes have difficulties to agree. But do we want everyone to agree? Because when I worked on uh, in Wall Street, every bank or every trading firm would have the, the senior economist would come into the trading room in the morning and would go on something called a squawk box where he'd say, these are the economic indicators that are coming out today. We think it's going to be this much, this much, this much. And this is what we think, you know, you, the traders, should make of that. This is what we, we think is going to happen. But if you went from one bank to one trading house, and they'd all be different. And if they were all the same, they wouldn't have been able to trade. So is somehow is, is the fact that they're not all the same, is that important to financial markets, at least, if not to the economy? To financial markets, I'm sure it's important. Everybody has their different take and everybody wants to be better than someone else. In general, I think it's a good idea to have different approaches to the same thing that sort of are complementary. If they are contradictory, you need to investigate why. If everybody uses the same model and if it's not accurate, then you run in, more easily run into trouble. If you have different approaches to the same thing and they are highly divergent results, you need to investigate why. If they give you similar results, you have more comfort. Now, I want to get into a specific example of something that, that you worked on, Georg, in a moment. But first, I wanted to just check on one term. Everything that we're talking about here, is this econometrics? Is that the term for it? Econometrics, historically at least, had to do with the analysis of time series, whatever that means. Time series is something happens today, tomorrow, the day after tomorrow. And the relationship between those two, three data points create something that can be modeled. You know, as soon as you have two data points in time, you can, in theory, create a model. It will be very inaccurate, but that's, that's the thing. So econometrics is the science, quote-unquote, that links data that has no uh, shape, no way to grasp the meaning and grasp, as I used the term earlier, um, causality, uh, to structure that data and make a causal link between those data points appear through the, the analysis of mathematical regularities between those points. Though there are easier ways to do it and more complicated ways to do it, but that's more or less one way in which we could uh, describe econometrics. And econometrics has been, you know, uh, flourishing because it's kept a lot of people busy. It's be allowed us to have a debate on things. Will this happen or that? Your model is better than mine. Your model encompasses mine, so it's like mine but more general. So there were lots of branches that were on it. Well, let me ask you a very specific uh, example of something that you worked on a, a lot recently, Georg. So at the European Investment Bank, we, we lend billions of euros uh, some of that is lent under the investment plan for Europe, so it's slightly different lending. But from all these billions, the bank said, we need to figure out if this is having an impact right? or how much the impact is. And then they said, go, do it. How on earth do you figure that out? It's not that we don't measure impact. Clearly, we look at this also on a project-by-project project basis. But there are certain things that we're missing. If you... Uh, put a broadband cable underground, right? You know how many people you need to dig it up. You know how many kilometers of cable you build and how many people you connected. What you don't see is who actually built the cable or the machinery to put it underground and how much will it benefit the businesses. Now that you have faster internet, will new businesses spring up? Will others be sort of crowded out? 
what are the dynamics that happen indirectly? Since you can't measure this on a project-by-project project basis. Clearly, we, can, we measure and report on the number of people used, the number of kilometers built. But the other thing is we can't really look at in each project. It would be immensely costly or even impossible. So here, this is one of the areas where you use an economic model where everything is interlinked. So what we, this is exactly what we tried to find out. So we looked around for which one is a good economic model. And here we're back at the fluffiness a little bit. There are a lot of economic models out there that you can use. And they give you slightly different answers. They look at slightly different angles of the same topic. So looking around of all the models that we could find, the most appropriate is a model used by the European Commission to assess the macroeconomic impact of the structural funds. Now, we're a bank. We don't provide grants, we don't tax people, we borrow on the market, so we had to adjust it a little bit. But then it seemed the most appropriate and suitable for our purpose to assess the macroeconomic impact of the IB. Then we used millions of rows of data of ourselves to find really where is the investment going, what it is doing, which region it is in, uh, over time, when we're investing. And uh, we, together with the Commission, we ran the model to assess what will be the impact on growth and jobs in Europe. And what did you find out? So we found by 2020 the EIB Group supported investment will have increased GDP by 2.3%. And this it peaks in 2020, and, and, but it still has a long-term contribution. So by 2036, in 20 years, it will still have increased GDP by 1.5%. And also uh, jobs as well, specifically jobs we're talking about. The jobs, I mean, it's, it's of course the, the interesting part in addition to the GDP. It, by 2020, 2.25 million jobs, and over long in 20 years, still 1.3 million jobs, more than it would have been otherwise. Of course, this in what we've modeled is we will just stop after 2016. Of course, we will continue and have investment. So these long-term effects do pile up, but not. you cannot just say one year plus the other one. One year plus the next one will not be double as much, but a little lower. There are non-linearities in the model. But yes, you are improving the competitiveness of the economy, which will have a lasting effect also next year. And those things get combined. What you finance this year and what you will finance in 10 years' time, there's a combined effect, which is yeah. exactly why you need a model, because yeah. you don't know what this combined effect will be, combination of factors. And what we're speaking about is... Um, GDP levels. So it's, we're not speaking about GDP growth rates, but mm -hmm. levels, right? So it's an amount of real money, so to say. Um, but GDP is a flow. So GDP is an amount of money that is produced every year. So in a sense, it's sizable, but it's a realistic sort of order of magnitude. And this is also something where the economists were using those huge models, and Georg was mentioning the numbers of the number of equations, which is huge in, in this instance. The economist still has, at the end of the day, to exercise its judgment about the outcome and about the necessary assumptions that you have to make to make the model, you know, able to run. So this is really something where the value added of the man at the end of the, you know, chain to produce a result in terms of economics analysis um, is, is there. He's really in thinking about whether that makes sense and whether it's not completely, you know, uh, outrageous. You, you showed me an, a, uh, an academic paper about this model. The model is called Romolo, right? R-H-O-M-O-L-O. Yes. It looks, well, it is actually all Greek. In fact, a lot of it is in <laughs> Greek letters. So it looks all Greek. But um, how simple is it to understand as 
an economist. When you look at it, do you see, do you read through those equations and say, oh yeah, I see how this works? Or do you have to go very, very painstakingly through every one? It's a question of exposure. If you do this kind of modeling a lot, you'll recognize a lot of standard parts of this. There are components, how you look at labor, how you look at household behavior that you can identify. Now, each model, of course, is somewhat specific. And then there is a question of experience with the model. We're talking about such a large model where everything is interlinked and everything moves at the same time. So this is not so much you can read the equations and they make it all, all make sense. But in interaction of all the equations and all the interlinkages in between, you still can't predict the outcome. That's why you have to run it, right? There are certain grand assumptions where you think it should move in this direction. But what it will actually then turn out, you don't know. It depends on all the interlinkages in the economy. Do you need a big computer to do that? Yes. It takes quite a long time to run the model. So you can't just you know, open the file on your, on your regular laptop and just uh, run it run it on on your regular excel you need a like a big big computing power to to make all these equations yes you can run it but it will take you very long mm-hmm. so this is this is a huge model so our listeners are not going to say well that's interesting let's go and look up romolo and uh, maybe i'll do that model i'll run that model but is there an economic model that's relatively simple and relatively well-known and accepted that maybe if our listeners wanted to just go and play around with it, they could go and and see how it works? You can go and play around Romolo. One, it's all public, and they have an online tool where you can play around with it a little bit. I would actually encourage to do that because it would demystify the fact that models are all black box. And you do have, I mean, it does an interface with human beings, so you have to input your stuff into the model. And when you do that, you see how things make sense. What you cannot see, and Georg explained it very well, is that there's no explicit relationship formula that you can write down and say investment is a growing function of the interest rate, actually a decreasing function of the interest rate in that instance. You cannot write that down. You cannot pin down the sign of the parameter because there are too many uh, you know, equations and factors and stuff. So it's never explicit. That's what the computer has to do it for you. But you can still, you know, look at what happens when you put in, you know, 10 more or 10 less. Where do, does that go mm-hmm. and how does it affect the rest of the equilibrium? Because there's another word that we didn't mention is that this modeling ex- exercise is an exercise which is a general equilibrium model. So everything is stable. Everyone is at his or her optimal. Uh, all the you know, accounting identities are satisfied, and that's, what, that's when the model gives its results. So we'll put some information about Romolo and also some things that we wrote on our, our blog about, uh, about the impact study that, that you guys did. We'll put that in the show notes so people will be able to read that and in the blog posts around that. Um, but in the meantime, uh, I'm just measuring the time we've taken here, and I think we've reached the, the end of it. That is uh, an equilibrium measure, I think, right, where we try, well to make everything, <laughs> try to make everything the same. Georg and Natasha, thank you so much for being on A Dictionary of Finance from the European Investment Bank. Thank you. Thank you. We're going to talk now about uh, our Twitter accounts because we would love to hear from uh, listeners on our Twitter accounts about what else they would like 
yes. uh, to be um, uh, to be dealt with on this show, what else they would like to hear about, and potentially also their experience in um, playing around with Romolo if they want to get in touch with us and say that they, you know, they increase GDP by even more than Georg. That's <laughs> like, you know, plus or minus Georg. That's yeah. the measure that Amazing. we can go for here. So I'm on Twitter at EIBMATT, E-I-B-M-A-T-T. And I'm on Twitter still as uh, at Alar Tankler, A-L-L-A-R-T-A-N-K-L-E-R. And please do write, like Matt said, and uh, do subscribe to our podcast and tune in next week.